0: Hello listeners, Beyond the Mask in conjunction with NBC RNA is pleased to announce that listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how to submit
1: them, go to our website. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304- 3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com now on with the show welcome to beyond the mask innovation and opportunities for crnas with jeremy stanley and sharon pierce we know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests on our show we want to care for you Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, nine, eight, seven.
2: Welcome, Sharon. How are you doing today, Jeremy? Well, I'm a little lonely.
0: You're not in the studio with me today.
2: I know. I do love the studio, but I'm in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Not a bad place to be right now.
0: How's the weather down there?
2: It is absolutely stunning. I just stepped out just a few minutes ago between tapings, and it is probably close to 70 degrees, and Kimberly is in the next room doing homework, and the judge is in her room doing homework. Well, they're I'm no um, in here with you well, no and our fun. great should... guest to come up.
0: That's right. That's right. Well, this, this guest is right up your alley today, right?
2: Oh, you know I'm super excited about this.
0: I know. I know. So we have Miss Erin Murphy with us. Welcome, Erin.
3: Thank you, Jeremy. Hey, Sharon. How are you? I'm real good. It's really, really great to be with you. And I will say, you know, from St. Paul, Minnesota, where <laughs> I am, it is sunny. And lovely, and probably about thirty degrees. Thirty degrees. (laughs) Kind of beautiful, um, but
2: my kind of beautiful for sure. (laughs) So, how many inches of snow are on the ground up there already?
3: You know, we have had a lot of snow already, but it keeps melting. So (laughs) there's just a scattering of snow right now. Um, But we've had two big snowstorms already, which is unusual. One before Halloween. Well, you know that would just fit with the
0: year, Aaron. Everything is unusual, right? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah.
2: that's an (laughs) understatement. (laughs) Yes, yes. unusual.
0: Yes, and we're going to be talking today about nursing policy and politics. Boy, that's a lot to unpackage. Well, Aaron, why don't you give uh, our listeners a little bit about your background, and uh, so they can get to know you a little better?
3: Thank you. And I'm I'm delighted to be here today to talk about uh, nursing uh, and policy and politics. I, I grew up uh, in southern Wisconsin. I was born in a tiny little town, Columbus, Wisconsin, uh, and at my grandma's table when all my adult relatives would get together, and I'm from a big Irish family, uh, they would play a card game called Euchre. They would... Talk about our community, they gossip about each other, and they talk about politics. And I loved to hang out with them. And my penance for staying with them and staying inside was to mix their drinks, which I got good at as a a very young person. Uh, But I learned a lot from them, and they taught me that politics is important, um, that it is ours to use. Um, and I've carried that with me, uh, throughout my career as a nurse, I, I worked on my first campaign as an eighth grader for a classmate's father who ran for the state Senate. And we put bumper stickers on cars in the mall, par- mall parking lot without asking, <laughs> which no one should do.
0: No, no, um, especially but- not <laughs> today. <laughs> I know, don't
3: do that. Um, he won his office and I remember that as an important moment. I had a part in that. It, it felt powerful even as an eighth grader. So when I started practicing nursing, I knew I wanted to find that intersection between policy and politics and nursing. And most of my nursing career has been um, as a bedside nurse working in the operating room. I teach now at St. Kate's University here in St. Paul. But the bulk of my work has been working in health policy, in politics, and advancing an agenda that I believe is important for all of us now in public office.
0: Aaron, I just have one quick question. You know, as an eighth grader and uh, mixing those drinks, what what did your family drink? What was the the the, the drink of choice?
3: Brandy and water, whiskey and water, and Pap's Blue Ribbon.
0: Gotcha. So you didn't have to mix a whole <laughs> lot of stuff then, right?
3: Yeah, just lots watered of water.
0: down the whiskey a little bit. <laughs>
3: <Yes>. <laughs> the directions were make it brown. They, okay. Ah, yeah. okay. yeah. uh, no, very Not yellow brown, or clear.
1: Huh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: All right. So tell us a little bit. You've got quite a long history, uh, political history outside of being an eighth grader, uh, yeah. but I'm talking about for your political history. So tell us a little bit about the, the seats that you have served in and some of the motivators to get you started. So
3: take it away. The first time I ran for office was in uh, 2005 and 2006. I ran for the Minnesota House. I had been asked, uh, like women, so many times to run, and it had always declined. Um, I I didn't think that I was prepared enough. I was a nervous public speaker, and I looked around and believed there were other people better prepared to do the job and in a better political position to do the job. So I didn't think I had much of a chance to win. But in 2004, my mom was diagnosed with uh, a small cell lung cancer. Uh, she lived for about 11 months with that diagnosis and much of it I spent back with her in Wisconsin taking care of her along with a lot of my family. And she had really good health care coverage. My dad had built cars uh, for a living in Janesville, Wisconsin, and they had good health insurance through General Motors. And they were both my mom and dad in- enrolled in Medicare. Um, and still she had to fight to get some of the care that she needed. It was being denied by her insurer. And at her funeral, my aunts all said to me, uh, you know, you should go back to Minnesota and you should go do something about that. And before really reaching out and talking to many people, I talked to my family and said, I want to run for office. And the seat that I ran for was an open seat. The person who held it was running for another office. And there was a gentleman who had already been in the race for many, many months and had built a lot of support. And so when I got into the race, most people said, do a good job. Um, it's probably going to be hard for you to win, but this will set you up for your next race. And it was indeed a very competitive race. I got in, in November and people kept asking me, why, why are you running? And I couldn't tell that story about my mom at the time. It was mm. still too raw. And so I was telling people about my resume and I'm a registered nurse. I work for the nurses union. I have two kids. My husband's a small business owner, etc. cetera. And I remember somebody on the phone saying to me, you still haven't told me why you're running. And you still haven't told me why I should vote for you. And it rattled me. And I realized that I needed to figure that part out and I needed to to talk to people more directly. So I started door knocking in December of 2005 while it was very dark in Minnesota and people didn't expect me at their doorstep. (laughs) But what it taught me um, is that if you give people space and time and an ear to listen, they will share with you what they're worried about. And that door knocking for me was a pivotal change. It helped me give voice to why I was running, but it also helped me understand what the people who lived around me, who I lived with and among for 18 years, were really thinking about what they were frustrated about from the government, what they hoped for from the government, the issues they wanted us to work on. And it really opened the door for me to understand what the job ahead of me looked like. And I door knocked my way all the way through that election. Uh, There were five of us that sought the party's nomination. I earned that and surprised a lot of people. I had a primary challenger and two general election challengers, and I won that race handily. Uh, Nobody expected me to. Everybody kept thinking, "She's, she's not ready, she can't do it, and we did. And all of the time that I spent on the doorsteps with people in their homes listening to them was the preparation that I needed to actually represent their interests. And I was ready to go when I was sworn into office in 2007. So I served in the House for 12 years, much of it in leadership, a term uh, as the majority leader in the House, and in 2017, got into a race and ran for governor uh, here in Minnesota, which was a transformative experience for me. We almost won. We came in second out of three in the primary, so we made it all the way through uh, to the, the last stage of the race. And it left me with a deeper belief in what we can accomplish together if we run from a hopeful platform with purpose. And we don't shy away from the hard issues that we face, but we actually talk about them with candor and with honesty. And it, it really renewed my belief in what we can do together um, using the tools of politics. And so uh, after a lot of uh, rest and thought, I did make the decision to run for the Minnesota Senate um, because I believe in what we can do together. And I'm very excited to say that I just earned this seat Uh here and first series of orientation and and I'm
2: on my way. Wonderful. Wow, now if I can go back, you talked about door knocking and you know I ran for the state house in North Carolina unsuccessfully, but getting other nurses to help with door knocking was a hard lift and they wouldn't do it, but I enjoyed it. And, you know, my campaign manager, Kimberly, we would go door knocking every Saturday and Sunday. And it was probably one of the most enjoyable things that I did. But nurses just wouldn't come out and help. Could you talk a little bit more about the effectiveness of that and why you shouldn't be scared to do it?
3: I, nurses are so incredibly well prepared to run for office. Uh, and it is the work that we do every day uh, and the relationships that we have with the people in our care that are the preparation for it. You know, the first uh, campaign message that we used was listen, diagnose, and act. And for those two years, I talked all the time about how I was going to listen to the people of Minnesota Mm-hmm. I was going to work to diagnose the root of the problem and act to solve it. And after I got elected, I was bragging about it, like with my family, like, I can't even believe this happened. And this was our message. And my brother said, Aaron, that is the nursing process. My brother's yeah. also a registered nurse. Mm-hmm. When I door knock, um, and I still love to door knock, uh, I think about when I first meet a patient. Hi, my name is Aaron Murphy. I'm going to be your nurse today. Hi, my name is Aaron Murphy and I'm running to be your representative in the Minnesota Senate. I'm running to be the next governor of the state of Minnesota. It opens up a conversation, but the thing that I needed to learn was to listen. Just like you want to listen to an evaluator assess a patient. You want to listen to understand what the person there is going to share with you. Um, Some people don't want to talk to you. Um, They'll decide right away, oh, you're a politician. I don't want to talk to you. But most often people will at least give you moment. And sometimes they will give you a lot about what they're experiencing. Um, And I learned about people's, you know, their kids and their grandkids, their concerns financially. Um, I learned a lot about people's conditions, sometimes more than I wanted to know. (laughs) I was often invited into people's homes. uh, And I almost always went in because I have faith in people. Um, I've been uh, offered warm bread I've been offered a drink of water. I've been offered a stiff cocktail. Um, I remember going into somebody's home and he'd prepared a song. Like he knew I was going to get to his doorstep. And so he said, I've been waiting for you. And he had written a song and he sang it and it was funny and lovely. Um, But people do invest in you. And and when I think about the body politics right now um, and what we're experiencing across the country, some of that, I think, is rooted in the fact that so many people feel like they don't matter anymore, that they are left behind, um, that what is important to them is being overlooked. And yep. I think we have to touch that again. And we have to do it you know, with our own human connection. Uh, and so the preparation I had as a nurse, um, being able to you know, find a way to engage in a conversation, to get somebody to open up who might not want to. Um, and to actually listen acutely to understand what it is that they're trying to say and find a path forward uh, was the preparation uh, that I didn't realize I was uh, undergoing as a, as a practicing nurse, but it served me and continues to serve me so well. Uh, and so that's why I always say, nurses, 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 you got to run because we're ready. We're yeah. ready to do the work. And I think America needs us right now.
0: So, Erin, uh, you know, nurses have the preparation. You obviously have the empathy one of the things that, that I've noticed is when nurses or CRNAs run for political office, it, it makes um, your physician colleagues a little nervous. Did you run into that as well? And how did you deal with that, um, especially now winning several elections?
3: Yes, I did. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I remember uh, the lobbyist for the medical association reminding me that physicians are at the top of the heap, right they they can do anything they want as doctors, and um you know, nurses aren't at the same, uh, especially when I have worked on uh, scope of practice issues, and we did um, move full practice authority for advanced practice nurses here um, while I was the majority leader. It does get tender, and uh I think the the way always to overcome that tenderness uh, is with personal relationship and, you know, making sure that, you know, I'm not a jerk about it, uh, but also, you know, recognizing uh, and trying to to say, we have room here for both of us. Uh, And when I think about the healthcare system and the shortage of providers and the real need for us all to be able to work to the top of our education and license in order to meet the needs of the health of the people, uh, there just isn't a reason for, Uh, the fencing out of one another, even though it is uh, often the behavior that we see uh, as we're moving legislation forward. So, you know, once in a while I've heard things um, that were a little less than kind, but for the most part, because I have operated, I believe as a person in principle with integrity and candor, um, I've gotten that in return from uh, physicians that I've worked with. uh, And I'm grateful for that.
0: Yeah. Sharon, did you get that?
2: No, I didn't get that in my, no. Uh, and I would still like to think that I operated with integrity, but uh, I don't think everybody operates with integrity. Well, absolutely That's not. right,
3: Sharon. And, so, and I don't know about you, but I would hear, especially when I ran the first time, I'm only five foot three, I'm small. You're a nurse. Oh, well, you're probably too nice for this job. You're a nurse. <laughs> you know, you, you're you don't, you know, that's going to be a hard job for you which I didn't understand in the beginning, which uh, was uh, uh, as much a sexist slight as a professional slight. And I heard it for sure uh, when I was running for governor. Um, and I had an answer that I sometimes used about, uh, well, you would understand uh, KY Jelly and using it for you know, the use of uh, procedures that we have to do. Uh, And my campaign manager didn't like when I would talk about KY Jelly because he said (laughs) it invoked other things for people. (laughs) 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 Or nurses would sometimes say KY Jelly is optional. And (laughs) uh, that came to mind sometimes when I was hearing you're too nice. Um, Hmm. But to be honest with you, all all kidding aside, the work of registered nurses puts you in difficult situations where you, you have to face without turning away the hardness of life, um, to be able to advocate and Mm -hmm. care for a patient. You don't get to walk away when it's tough. Um, And it is the preparation you need to do this work. And we are empathetic people rooted in advocacy and caring, but that doesn't mean we're not tough. And in fact, nursing made me tough enough to do this job uh, because I'm not afraid to walk away from the things that are difficult. I'm not afraid to walk away from a hard fight or a hard vote. Uh, Because it is important to do that work for the people, just like it is important to do that for the person in your care.
2: Wow. I hear all the time whenever we talk to nurse legislators who serve that their nursing career, the skills that they have as nurses are exactly what they need to govern. And that's what I'm hearing from you. Over and over, because, you know, when you say anything to nurses about running for office, they go, oh, no, politics. I don't like politics. But everything in your life is about politics.
3: That's right. Nursing
2: is about politics (laughs) in a hospital, for God's sake. All of it is about politics. Tell us a little bit about your gubernatorial run. You were the first nurse in the country to run for governor. So tell us a little bit about that. That was a, a, a heavy lift, a massive
3: undertaking. It was glorious. It taught me so much about what I'm capable of. It taught me about the goodness of people all over the state of Minnesota, that despite all our political differences, we, we want the same things for ourselves and for our communities, and there's common ground there. Uh, it taught me to be hopeful again uh, about politics and it wet my appetite to do more. It is a big, it is big, you know, Minnesota's a big state, uh, trying to get to all of its corners and talking to 5 million people um, requires both a lot of time, uh, building a really strong team. And uh, I know, Sharon, you've met James um, Hager, my campaign manager, but he is my partner in, in so much of the work that I am doing uh, you know, a lot of people did th- think I could, you know, succeed. They thought I would be in and out quickly, so I had to overcome that uh, in order to raise the money that I needed uh, to succeed and to compete successfully. You know, there were nurses all over the country who contributed to our campaign, including you. Um, and we built a strong network uh, of nurses, but we also built a strong network here in Minnesota. And with each month, uh, we built and built and built and built. and you know, got to, uh, well, like I said, we, we made it all the way through into the primary. There were nine of us, uh, Democrats in the race to begin with. And, uh, and I just, I can't say enough about the power of it. Uh, and I really hope for another opportunity to run, um, statewide here in the state of Minnesota. Um, I hope so, but it was, uh, you know, I could talk about it for a long time. I will say this, though, I having not prevailed in the primary was difficult and losing a race um, that you invest yourself in is, you know, is a form of loss and grief that I was prepared for, but it hurt a lot. And I met with um, our pollster about a year after the race. Um, I was out in Washington, DC. And uh, her name is Jill Normington. And I am very, very fond of her. She's smart and deeply connected to people. And she was asking me how I felt, you know, year out after the race. And what was I thinking about? And I said, the one thing that I can't like escape, I can't get out of my memory and out of my eyesight is this feeling as we were heading into the primary of love. And when I think about what was happening all around me, what I feel is love. And those things seem asymmetrical to me. And she said, when you touch people in a way that you create a movement. So that people are coming with you because they believe in what they can do with you. You create a real sense of affiliation. Their root word of affiliation is philos. It's love. Um, that makes sense. And it helped me put into context what I'd experienced and what I was feeling and why I feel so committed to more of the same. Uh, because it takes that sense of connectedness to people and their hope. To break down both the, the challenges that we're facing in politics right now, but also to really move us in the direction of the thing that, as a self-governing people, is so fundamental. That we, the people, we together, build our future using these tools. And if we reject them because we think they're yucky, um, we are rejecting our own power. And that's no good for a democracy. And so I get to experience that in a in a very palpable way. Uh, And I I hope to continue to not only feel that for myself, but to share that with other people um, and restore people's faith in what we can do together uh, so that the democracy and our republic live on.
0: Well, Aaron, you know, I haven't heard the word love in politics in a very long time. So that was very refreshing. But in light of where we are in this country politically, and if we're Asking nurses to get involved, because I hear this from in our CRNA clients, you hear it from nurses. Um, the reason they don't get involved is because of that animosity uh, mm-hmm. that they see every day and so forth. Now your take is a little bit different, which most of the folks that we have on our show who have run for political office say what you say. But it still doesn't seem to transcend across to nurses and CRNAs or APRNs out there. Can you talk to that just a little bit? How do they get to where you are?
3: The animosity, the um, all of the things that we don't like about politics—they exist. And I try to root myself in in the lives of people and not get caught in the trappings of the office or what's happening underneath the Capitol's dome, uh, because that is the domain of politicians um, and some who use you know the power of their office, the leverage of their office um, to try and uh, force an issue or, you know, to minimize or harm others. And that happens and it exists. And to the best of my ability, I try not to practice that. I try to model my own form of leadership. But what I found over and over again is that if I am rooted in the people of the state, the people who live around me, but all over the state of Minnesota, they, they keep me honest for sure. Um, but they also uh, are able to instill in me and I think in each other, we can hold on to what we what we want, and hopefully what we can build together. So I remember the first time we were in the majority as Democrats in the House, and we went into the minority. So that was in 2010 for me, the first time we went into the minority. And I was really upset about it. There were people that I'd served with that I cared a lot about, and they'd lost their office. And it was through a lot of negative campaigning that both sides engage in. And I, I was really feeling that, and it was coming through in in the communication that I was using, both in my speeches on the floor and in my written communication out to the people who had elected me. And I got emails back from people saying, "What's going on with you? What I don't I don't like what I'm hearing from you. You sound so partisan. You sound so angry," and it made me, you know, look within and course correct um, because that's not what I am, and that's not what I want to be, and I don't want to be. I don't wanna convey that to people either. We lose faith in one another when we do that. So I know what I am talking about uh, seems foreign. And I, I also know that it doesn't exist everywhere, um, right. but I think we can build it and make it so. There was an article written and published, uh, I think it was in The Nation after this presidential race, and it was titled, The Politics of Joy. Um, Hubert Humphrey um, in Minnesota was, um, I think, the first person tagged with that name, the Politics of Joy, the Happy Warrior. And when we uh, earned the DFL endorsement here for governor, um, that was then uh, hung on us in the most beautiful way. And we talked all all the way through that campaign then about the Politics of Joy. And so that editorial that was written after the presidential race was about the spontaneous celebration across the country in people's neighborhoods and in their streets. And You know, here in St. Paul, I was out for a walk, right? I wasn't watching the news when I learned that they had called the race and a woman was shouting at us. I was with another woman. We won. We won. We won. And people were banging on pots and pans and they were driving in the street and they were honking their horns and they were gathering together. And the story, Politics of Joy, in the nation is about that, that recognition that we have it within us to set our course. And there is reason to be joyful about that. Um, and it does attract a different kind of, I think, a different kind of people to, um, to the work that we want to build for the future. So I'm going to keep building it over here in Minnesota.
2: <laughs> we love that. You know, I've often asked the question, "What during this pandemic? How do you think it would have looked different if a nurse would have been in charge?"
3: I, I get that question a lot, and. I, you know, I think healthcare is something that I'm deeply immersed in and ingrained in. I really feel for the governors and for the lack of a coordinated national approach. Um, and for the fact that COVID has been, you know, rung through a political campaign, a national political campaign that has left people uh, on either side of the truth about a virus that is just looking for its next host, you know, it's just looking to, to infect the next person, um, and I'm heartbroken by the stories that I'm reading now, especially coming out of North Dakota about people who are in the in the ER or in the ICU and they're you know really sick and on their way to intubation and saying I don't have COVID, it can't be COVID, COVID is not real. That is uh, just a is a tragic story about what's happening in America, and uh, so I think. You know, I, I hope that I would ha- have been able to hold on to the thread of what it means um, when we're facing uh, an infectious virus. But, you know, I think it's a challenge for every governor right now. Um, and we're struggling uh, in Minnesota because the pandemic is really raging right now. The virus is really raging in the state. Uh, and I think, you know, we're at that place where we're going to have to start shutting things down again, really cheering on Governor Whitmer in Michigan Who seems fearless, um, cheering on Governor uh, Kate Brown in Oregon, uh, who has really led through this. And, uh, you know, I hope that I would be leading with real courage, rooted in science and sharing that science with people in a way that they could make sense of it, uh, despite the political divisions. Um, Often our job as nurses is to translate the thing a patient is experiencing uh, into language that they can understand so they can make a decision for themselves. And I think I would be good at that um, if I were um, in that public office right now. I'm doing my best from here.
0: Well, and that's all we can ask for from anybody, right? That's right. Do your best. Do your best. But, you know, I mean, in the pandemic and everything that has gone on this year, you know, it's just, uh, it's turned a lot of things ugly in a lot of different ways. And, you know, I'm just very happy to hear your take on this. Democrat, Republican, I don't think it matters. I think if we just had more people that had the viewpoint that you have Mm -hmm. um to be able to reach across that aisle and not start punching across the aisle um things would be a whole lot better um and you know i don't don't know i mean i'm not in politics you you are uh from from my seat i wonder if we'll ever get back to that in light of where we are um you know i want to be hopeful for the future um, but when you see this day in and day out, and of course everybody's got constant twenty-four-seven news on these days, and you hear the bad things from every side, and it's kind of pumped in your head, and that's what you tend to tend to pick up. So I I like your viewpoint a whole lot better for sure.
2: Thank you. Well, well, our premise is if we get more nurses in the office, we will we will get there.
0: Yeah, I think that's and we smart. just
2: I mean nurses are the backbone of healthcare, but yet are grossly underrepresented in politics. And speaking of that, the new administration appointed a 19-member task force, and there's no nurse on the task force. And these are all big leaps that we're going to have to deal with. If we had More Aaron Murphys out there. Uh, Of course, it would pop up. Hey, we need Aaron Murphy on this task force. Actually, you would be perfect on this task force, (laughs) Aaron. We need a hashtag Aaron Murphy on task force uh, (laughs) uh, to take over. But you and I both know how we can uh, bridge this chasm. But. Just put it in some words so that people who are listening to this will understand how nurses have got to step up and not just give clinical care, but to be involved in politics as a force for good, as you talk. You talk about it.
3: There are a lot of things uh, that we could we could talk about in terms of the American healthcare system. Uh, I think the pandemic has. Shown us the difference between a healthcare marketplace and a system prepared to care for us uh, when we need it the most. And at least in Minnesota, the healthcare marketplace has really struggled uh, to meet the needs of everyone in the course of the pandemic. And there is no one more trusted in the healthcare arena than registered nurses. We know that. We know that the American people trust us. And to move, from where we are to where we need to be in terms of the health of the people, will require not just our voice and the trust that is instilled in that, but also our experience and our critical thinking skills. And um, nursing, I think, has always been, you know, amorphous and difficult to describe. Um, you know, I'm a licensed registered nurse here in Minnesota, but a lot of people talk about it as my background and not my profession because I'm not wearing a uniform and going to the hospital every day. I know that the code for nursing requires us to practice in individual care inside a hospital and in population and health um, across a community. And that's where I am choosing to to practice nursing, is with my eye on the health of the people and the population of people. We are instrumental um, to our healthcare system, and we are instrumental to the well-being of people. And as I said before, we don't shy away from hard problems. And it just makes us so uniquely prepared to do this work and if we are going to move in a direction uh, where where we are like a dog with a bone uh, in protecting the health of the people, we need more nurses in public office, um, in school board, on the city council, on the county board, in state legislatures, in state uh, executive offices, in the Congress. And yay, Lauren Underwood won her reelection. I'm so happy oh, yeah, about yeah. that. Um, we are the backbone of healthcare, and we can be. Uh, a part of the backbone of policymaking here in this country. Yeah. And we very, should
0: be. very well said. Well, as we kind of bring this to a close, Erin, is there anything you want to leave with our listeners? Maybe some calls to action here or things you think are important that they need to know?
3: Well, I always make sure to remind us uh, that if we're not in public office yet, uh, we need to think about running. And it takes women sometimes six or seven invitations, uh, serious invitations to run before they actually consider it. So if you're listening, think about running from office. I am am asking you to consider it. Also, make sure you know uh, your state representative, your state senator, uh, the decision makers. Um, Make sure that they know that you are a content matter expert. You know healthcare. Uh, most people elected to office are not experts in healthcare, and they need people that they can trust. And it is a place of significant influence for us, uh, where, where we can uh, serve as advisor to those who are elected to represent us. And then find out who the nurses are, who are, you know, taking the step to run, because there are many. Um, and together, in a network across this country, we can support them with our time with our treasure and with our, um, our support, um, because, uh, running for offices, uh, both a glorious experience as I describe it and it's scary as shit when you get started. Um, <laughs> and it's really, really helpful to have your fellow nurses with you saying you can do it and I with you.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's expensive, right? Aaron? <laughs> but- <laughs> yeah. All good
2: points. But you know, Jeremy, my biggest takeaway, and I love this line and I wrote it down because she talks about how a lot of people uh, think of politics as you said, yucky. Um, But if you don't participate, you're rejecting your own power. Hmm. That is so profound to me. And it's absolutely true. I just hadn't thought about it in those terms. So I'll probably steal that line, Aaron, because it's so good. And Jeremy, just to let you know, You know about Kimberly and I's project at Yale and the campaign school. Erin has been with us since day one, offering her expertise, her time, her treasurer. And, you know, we're going to keep her busy for a very long time, (laughs) encouraging nurses to run for office going forward.
0: Well, I knew this one would be right up your alley, Sharon. So this is uh, you know this is (laughs) you know it. You know it. yeah. So this one this one's right down your lane. So Well, I know you two can probably talk about this forever and I'll chime in whenever I can. But uh Sharon, I think we uh we probably need to wrap it up.
2: I believe so. All right. Well we wanna thank you, you, Aaron,
0: for being with us, absolutely, and for all the wonderful things you've told our listeners and for the good that you're doing for the people up in Minnesota, and uh, I'm sure they appreciate that as well. And just from your demeanor and your tone, I think uh, everyone can understand that you're not only a great nurse, but you're also a great person, and that that comes through. So we want to thank you for being with us today. And we want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mass with Jeremy Stanley and
2: Sharon Pierce.
0: And the single best way to help our show grow is to tell others, because, you know, Sharon, we're in the top 50 medical podcasts in the country now.
2: I know but I want more Jeremy I want to be in the top 10 at least the top 10
0: you know I don't know why it doesn't surprise me to hear you say you want more (laughs) why is that Miss Yale (laughs) we do want to be in the top 10 so please tell others make sure and leave us a review um, out there on our podcast but only if it's
2: positive that's
0: right there's enough negativity in this world right
2: that's right
0: until next time
2: it's a wrap
1: Like what you're hearing? Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA history series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.